0: From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thank you for joining us. It's Friday, January 12th, and we are glad to have you along today. More snow and wind and rain on the way. The legislature is ending week two, and Bill Belichick is no longer the coach of the New England Patriots football team. I suspect Brady Farkas will dig deeper into this issue on his show at 530. I, of course, have no shortage of thoughts, but they can wait. I've got some distant links to Belichick. He knew my high school football coach, and they used to talk, and he spent a year at Phillips Academy in Massachusetts, which was an arch rival of ours. I'll give you some more details maybe next week. But we need to head straight to Washington or Brattleboro or wherever to catch up with Vermont's lone member of Congress, Becca Ballant, along with Senator Peter Welch and others in Montpelier. This week, Ballant demonstrated in front of the our U.S. Post Office in Montpelier to demand that it be reopened or that Postal Service be restored uh, post-flood to Montpelier and other places immediately. Um, a reminder, we will take your calls at 244-1777. Send your emails to me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. And with that, quickly, we go straight to Congresswoman Becca Ballant. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Um, a, a quick note: I, you're sounding really comfortable with the title of Congresswoman. Um, how's it going in the first, uh, you know, uh, year?
1: Well, let me just say that every day is an adventure and uh as as hard as this year has been, I just want to remind folks we we started the year with a uh historic fight over the speaker uh fifteen rounds, and then we lost our speaker, and we careened from a default crisis to a government funding crisis. We're now on the brink of another government shutdown crisis, and unfortunately, this has been so far the least productive Congress in the history of the United States. So I remain ever hopeful. I work with some really excellent, committed people here and not going to let it get me down, not going to give in to cynicism. We have important work to do. Okay. Okay.
0: On to the post office. You were here this week uh, demanding that, uh, that action be taken to restore postal service to Montpelier. Can you tell us what what exactly is the situation with the post office and what were you doing here to accomplish that?
1: So so since the devastating flooding um of course it didn't just attack uh Montpelier but many other sites around Vermont we have not had a functioning post office in our capital city and this is just simply not acceptable. It's non-negotiable to have uh, a a state capital uh, city with a functioning post office. So we have heard from so many Vermonters that it is impacting their day-to-day lives. People are are needing to drive to uh, Barrie, which for seniors, uh, many of whom have mobility issues, this is a real hardship. We have heard from many small businesses that this is impacting their their business. And it is I know I speak for me and and the rest of the delegation, we are united in our feeling that the Postal Service is not some relic of the past. It's a vital part of all communities here in Vermont, and government needs uh, to function for the people. And I, you and I have talked, I think, in the past about how there is a erosion of confidence in government in this country meeting you know basic vital functions, and we see this as part of that problem. It's a core responsibility of the federal government to make sure that we provide mail service for all of our citizens and it's a vital feature, I believe, of a healthy democracy so uh Senator Sanders, Senator Welch, and I we are completely and totally committed to bringing a post office back to uh, Montpelier, and you know we have engaged with uh, the Postmaster General repeatedly over the past year. We are going to continue to do so. Our teams are working closely together on this. This is not a little issue for us. This is important.
0: Now, uh, the the Postmaster General is a fellow named Louis DeJoy. Uh, Some folks may remember uh, uh, he is a man of some controversy. Um, He had a very Mm -hmm. controversial appearance before Congress uh, some years ago. Uh and, and but the you can the president just cannot fire him. Um can you explain to the listeners how that works at the Postal Service?
1: Yeah, because it is at this point a, a quasi government mental um agency essentially. And you know, one thing that I know I have found some some hope in because it, it does feel bleak when he comes in and I feel like he's evasive. He doesn't uh answer the questions directly. And I know that there are Republicans from rural areas who feel the same way that that we do as your congressional delegation. This is not just um, an issue for Democratic districts. So there is some power to be had in on this issue, definitely crossing the aisle. I had an opportunity to meet with um, the chair of the Oversight Committee, uh, James Comer, on this issue several months ago, and and he understands what the stakes are for rural America as well. But it's not going to be an easy fight because what we keep hearing back from DeJoy and other people um, within his shop is that, well, this is all about the the bottom line. And I know for me, looking at the fact that we spend billions and billions of dollars uh, for the Pentagon budget and we still do not have an audit, never had an audit, Uh, of the the funds that are being spent there, this is a choice that is being made in terms of our budget. We could make a different choice. We should make a different choice to make sure that every American has access to um, what I think are vital services at the post office. And so we're going to continue to link this to the health of the democracy, the strength of the democracy. And, of course, you know, Bernie, he punches above his weight. I'm so glad he is where he is. He's in regular communication with the Biden administration, and so we're constantly looking for, for any lever, any tool that we can use to make a difference on this issue.
0: Can you give us a, a reality check? Um, you know, it's tempting for folks like me to say, well, the in the old days, you know, in the Lyndon Johnson days or JFK days, uh, the, the president would just uh, call up the postmaster general and, and say you're fired um he works for a board of governors uh well right. can't the president just replace the board of governors uh and we've all learned that uh, government doesn't work that fast anymore uh, how yeah. you know is it is it better yeah. to just get get the joy to to do the work that you need him to do or is it better to have him uh, go and replaced by someone else
1: so obviously, long term, we would love to have him replaced. In the short term, we've got to deal with the, the hand we've been dealt. And, you know, the backdrop of all of this, Kevin, is that Democrats and Republicans right now, the way that every single thing becomes a partisan issue here in the Capitol, it gets in the way. It used to be that we were political opponents. We had political Policy differences, and right now, the way that this has um, degenerated is that the the kind of language that is used even in issues like again basic government function has become around demonizing and dehumanizing the other side, and of course, we have somebody uh who's soon to be uh you know at the top of the primary um race on the Republican side who believes that Democrats are not just political opponents, they are the enemy and the kind of rhetoric that is being used right now on the on the campaign trail, the continuation of what we saw when he was in the White House. But it's absolutely having a corrosive effect, not just on government, but on the democracy as a whole. And it should concern us all. It really should.
0: We will devote an entire show to that, and of course, um, we talk about it a lot, and you have an open invite to come on the show to talk about this and other issues anytime. Congresswoman Becca Ballant, thank you so much for joining us.
1: You're welcome, Kevin. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.
0: Yeah, you too. Congresswoman Becca Ballant, she is the lone member of Congress for Vermont. She is from Wyndham County. This is her first year in the United States Congress. Uh, She's the first woman to represent Vermont in Congress, and uh, she was the president of the Vermont Senate and someone I've known for a a fairly long time in political years, and uh, it's going to be really interesting to follow her work down there. So thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis, and I'm joined now by political strategist Joanna Grossman to review the week's news. And uh, this is our, a feature we're building on uh, on our Friday show called Week in Review. Joanna, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Kevin. Happy to be here.
0: Okay. Uh, wh- before we get to the news of the week, and there's a lot, I want to do a check on weather and what it means for power lines and power outages in central Vermont. So we have our go-to Uh, General Manager of the Washington Electric Co-op, Lewis Porter. He is with us, and he's going to tell us all we need to know. Mr. Porter, welcome.
3: Thanks for having me, Kevin.
0: Okay, we've got heavy winds coming. Uh, We survived a storm. I did not have a power outage. Tell us what's coming weather-wise and what you're doing about it.
3: Yeah, so we uh, we had a storm on Tuesday morning uh, across Vermont that, that luckily for Washington Electric Co-op uh, uh, was, had some impact in our territory, but it was not nearly as extensive as it was in, in other parts of the state. Now we have another one coming in overnight tonight, uh, which is very similar to that Tuesday storm, very high winds, uh, up to 80-mile-an-hour winds in some parts of the state. Uh, and we're uh we're uh, hoping that we that we uh don't don't suffer any worse damage than we did on Tuesday but but uh given what we know about these increasingly damaging winter storms we we may well see power outages in our territory as well as around Vermont
0: and uh how are you preparing
3: well we uh we're we're lucky uh this time we we got our power restored in our territory on Wednesday and sent a couple of crews to help other utilities uh, but we're lucky this time because uh our folks are are uh pretty well rested and our equipment and materials are in pretty good shape so we're we're getting ready. I was actually just on the winter prep call among all the utilities before I called you up, and uh we're getting ready the same way we always do, which is Uh, make sure we have crews uh, ready to go, equipment and materials ready to go, and and make sure we're communicating with the state and with other utilities so we can support each other in restoration efforts.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we'll be keeping a close eye, um, and everybody can go to the Washington Electric Co-op website to get the latest news and as the winds uh, pick up tonight, and uh, let's wish everybody the best. Thanks for joining us, and we'll follow along.
3: Thanks a lot, and just a reminder I always like to give, uh, people should not approach downed wires in case they're still energized, and, and check in you know, on your neighbors and friends who, who might need help if this uh, becomes an extended outage.
0: Thank you. Uh, th- uh, thank thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, and fill your bathtub with water, um, among other things. Little do, little do a lot of people know that you can flush your toilet uh, by just pouring a bunch of water into the toilet. So... Uh, have a bucket of water, uh, get a sheetrock bucket and uh, fill it with water, sit it next to the toilet and you ought to be fine. On that cheery note, Joanna, it was a big week in the news. I, I don't know if you were with me when we were talking to Becca Ballant, but um, you know the, 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 uh, Peter Welch, Becca Ballant uh, came to Montpelier on Monday to talk about the lack of postal service in Montpelier. We haven't had a post office since July. What do you make about that?
2: Yeah, I can't imagine that for local businesses in Montpelier, especially, it must just be really disruptive. You know, they're used to having a, a walkable business ecosystem there and to have to drive out to Barry has got to be pretty disruptive. Yeah. I was really glad to see that they showed up for that. It, it's nice to see them in state really, you know, getting involved in local issues.
0: Um, You know, it's funny. It's, the post office thing, you know, years ago, uh, he, before the dysfunction in Congress, the president would just fire the postmaster general, uh, or or uh, fire the the board of governors and replace them with his or her own people, and reappoint and appoint a new postmaster general. But this guy Louis DeJoy has been around uh, for a long time. Nobody likes him. And yet uh, they can't seem to get rid of them. And it's just seeming seems to me another sort of symbol of the paralysis in D.C. What do you make of that?
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I personally have had several pieces of mail go awry just in the past couple of years. And, you know, I grew up assuming the post office would always work and completely took it for granted. The fact that you know, that our our national government can't fix that really is a sign of dysfunction. It's it's pretty disappointing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It's um, I could hear a little weariness in Becca Ballant's voice. um, And I, boy, it's got to get you down um, fighting the fight. She sits on the, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but uh, maybe we could talk about it right now. I, I watched the clip of Hunter Biden walking into the House Oversight Committee this week. Um, and just sitting there in sort of a surprise, it was obviously a uh, performative for, for the cameras and dr- for drama's sake. But, you know, he walked into the committee and just sat there with his lawyer and they yelled at him and then he walked out and Becca balance on that oversight committee. And, um, she has to tangle with all of this and it just cannot be a inspiring and B it has to be exhausting.
2: So. I know. I you know I haven't watched that. I should go back and check it out. But it, she really is coming in at the worst time, you know. And she's such an energetic person. And I, I it's going to take someone like her to to cut through it. I I'm going to have to go back and see
1: that clip.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the legislature uh, week two is in the books. Uh, Let's see. Week one, the House overrides the governor's veto on a bottle bill modernization bill uh, with plenty of votes to spare. The governor wants the Democrats. uh, He warned them about spending too much money on flood resilience, climate, housing and other priorities. And then House and Senate leaders come together with the governor this week to introduce a a sort of an omnibus housing bill to reform Act 250 and, and local zoning and fund more housing. Um can you speculate what what do you think's going on here like do you think the governor's power within the with the legislature is waning by view of their easy override of his vetoes or is he still the most popular governor in the country and uh people are going to go along with his agenda
2: Well you know Electoral popularity and legislative effectiveness are two totally different things. So, you know, he won by the widest margin of any governor in the country. But here, you know, he is notorious for not getting in the weeds with legislators and not really working with them, especially on the budget. And, uh, yeah, I was really surprised and happy to see him, you know, coming down from the fifth floor and really working with a tripartisan coalition to get this done. On the other hand, you know, it's mostly deregulation and I don't know that that's going to solve housing on its own. I I do think it's it's good and like, you know, I I do think there's a lot to be said about, you know, loosening up regulations that can allow municipalities to upzone. We're trying to work on similar kind of things right here in Burlington too.
0: Yeah, um yeah, it's pretty clear that this is the the bill would really focus on uh, reforming act, modernizing act 250 so that we can build housing faster and less less expensively um i didn't see i haven't read the bill so i i don't know if there's a lot of money in there but it is interesting that he had uh representative taylor small uh in the press conference uh they are an independent and or is it she? I might have gotten that wrong. Taylor Small, I if you're out there, I might, screwed up. I might have screwed up my pronoun. It's a she?
2: I think so. But Taylor, let us know if we got it wrong.
0: Yeah, Taylor, if I got it wrong, I apologize. Let me know. But Taylor was there at the press conference along with Ashley Bartley, who's a, a leading uh, House Republican. And Democrats are for this, too. So uh, we'll see where it goes. Um Okay. My least favorite issue in the world, uh, Vermonters can now place bets on three digital platforms on their phones to bet on sports. I know this is probably the thing that keeps you up at night, uh, your ability to bet on sports. What do you think?
2: Oh, my God. This this issue has also been kind of a pet peeve of mine. I couldn't believe last year, you know, last couple of years was like such – so much going on and this kept coming to the top of the agenda and I kept thinking oh my gosh who cares but I don't know if you thought um, listeners should really check out a little snippet in final reading yesterday that Digger did these reporters like just really trying to figure out how to use the platform and could just barely do it (laughs) Uh, it just seemed silly and uh, I don't know I mean I hope it brings in revenue one of the the funny things I, I wondered about it's not funny I mean no addiction is funny but um, you know, they have set aside the first $250,000 to help folks with gambling addiction. And I had to wonder if that really is allocatable. I don't know if that's a word here in Vermont. Is there really, is that really a significant issue, but maybe it will become it because of this, these platforms. I really don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I for me, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal my, L, my senior status. It's just, uh I don't know. It's just chipping away at the the, the, uh, authenticity of sports, uh, the best parts of sports. And uh, the idea I know Brady Farkas, our sports guy here at the station, disagrees with me, so we'll fight about it when we bring him on. But I don't know. I'm not going to be doing – I'm glad we get the revenue, but uh, I think it's like putting a casino in Vermont somewhere. I don't know.
2: I don't know. I'll be interested to see if people really care about it. I mean, I'm just not a sports fan very much myself. So, you know, even when people talk about their like fantasy baseball teams, I'm like, okay, it's important to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. I noticed that the House, Joanna, passed a bill uh, to bring us overdose prevention centers in the state. Uh, Again, I haven't read the details, but I think. Uh, And the governor has, I think, said that he would uh, veto this bill. Uh, So what's going on here? I think there'd be two uh, 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 overdose prevention sites, but we need to get into the details of what exactly that means. I know it's a big issue in Burlington.
2: What I saw, too, is that the House approved, um, they passed a bill that would support two different sites. I haven't seen if there was any definitive language about where those would be. But I know the Burlington City Council and the mayor have been pushing hard here to set up harm reduction sites here in Burlington. I mean, the overdose situation here is just off the charts. It's completely taxing our emergency services. I mean, you literally see people struggling in town. I mean, I just have never, I'm from big city and I've never seen anything like it. It's really, really necessary. And, um, you know, the, the legislature, the governor have pushed back quite a few times, and I'm really glad we've gotten support from the House. I actually don't know if you saw that um, at the end of the press conference that the governor did about housing on Wednesday, he actually took a question about this and said he really wasn't comfortable with it. So he's been explicit. And I think that, you know, if Merle Weinberger, the mayor of Burlington, does get into the gubernatorial race that creates a really interesting opportunity for a wedge issue for him, because that's something that, you know, cities in Vermont are widely supporting and the governor is opposing. So uh,
0: let's stay with this issue just for a second. I I saw um, a a quote from Representative Emily Kornheiser from Brattleboro, who who said that um, she has seen children dying of overdoses in her community. And I think that goes for, a lot of us. Uh, And yet, you know, the governor is of a generation uh, for whom this is sort of culturally, you know, the idea of the government endorsing a place where you can go and take drugs uh, in a safe manner is sort of culturally a non-starter for Phil Scott And I would add, you know, a lot of people over the age of 60 or whatever. But, you know, we are I don't know. There's a a cultural issue going on here, is my point.
2: Yeah, I'm sitting here nodding as I'm listening to you. I I totally understand that, personally. Like, it it does seem so, you know, anathema to good health and wellness for our communities. But the data shows that this actually – you know, reduces overdoses and increases opportunities for recovery and is better for our emergency services and really does support um, the community across the board. I actually know someone who runs one in New Orleans, and they've been able to see a lot of improvement there.
0: There's, uh, on my favorite uh, awful TV show called New Amsterdam, it's a it's a doctor hospital show, um, on ABC, they deal with this. Uh, this issue a lot on the show and it's i it's opened my eyes. Um Joanna, we have a caller uh, Anita from Middlesex wants to join the conversation. Anita, welcome to the show.
1: Uh good morning. I'm actually calling to compliment you folks about uh covering the post office service uh situation in Montpelier. <clears throat> I'm proud of our federal folks, especially Becca, for coming on and being so strong about this issue. Uh, This is not a partisan issue. I'm sorry to interrupt with um, this issue back. (laughs) But um, we as Americans have had postal service uh, since Ben Franklin. So perhaps we should um, have a more of a a stick and carrot situation and uh, stand in front of the post office with our taxes and not not send them since we can't send them.
0: Anita, thank you for the call. Uh, you know, Joanna, the I, I, nothing sort of, you know, we talk about the big issues, whether it's Trump or Biden or whatever. But boy, when you start monkeying with the basics of everyday life, like the post office, uh, people get mad.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's such a bread and butter thing. I mean, that's something we really saw in the pandemic. You know, these like day-to-day things we took for granted going away really affect people. And, and that's why most governing happens at the local level.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, we I was uh, thinking about going back to the, the House on day one of the legislature, overriding the governor's veto of the bottle bill modernization uh, legislation with votes to spare. I think, uh, I think 130, I might have it wrong, but 131, 132 uh, reps voted to override the governor's veto. Uh, the Senate has not taken that up. Uh, what do you make of the 130 plus votes to override the governor's veto and the Senate's uh, reluctance to take that up? I. Uh, what do you make of all that?
2: Yeah, I mean, they were ready, like right out of the gate, they came out with an override, which I think is a pretty strong message from the House saying, you know, we're, we're ready and we're, we're going to be a very active chamber and we're not, you know, we're not taking anything else. Whereas the Senate, you know, the past, the, this session has been much more resistant to taking on that kind of, for lack of a better term, activism and, it seems to me like they were more hesitant. I don't know if it was about this legislation so much as starting off the session with an override and sending that kind of message um that's sort of my you know my analysis on it. I am curious about that it was there was sort of a funny thing when um Protenil baruth was addressing it in the media. He said he was waiting for constituents to weigh in, and I just thought that was that was. That was really interesting. I heard that, and I was kind of like, hmm, should I give them a call? I've I've not heard the Senate actively soliciting constituent um, feedback before, and a lot of the Senate is sort of notoriously not great about following up on constituent inquiries. So I hope that is, you know, a change they're planning to make.
0: You know, I got to say, as I, I live in East Montpelier, and there is no redemption center near me. In fact, downtown Montpelier, several years ago, lost its last redemption center. So I'm not even sure where I go to redeem bottles and cans. I, I got to say, I I, I bet Baruth might be reflecting a, a, a sort of an ambivalence about this because I'm kind of getting used to, you know, Casella coming to my driveway and picking up all my recyclables. Uh, and I know a lot of people cannot do that, so I yeah. don't know, has technology moved us past the bottle bill. We should get Paul Burns from vpergon to talk about this because I know he disagrees with that, but we maybe maybe we're past uh needing the bottle bill anymore we we just recycle.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. There's another facet to this that might be worth exploring. I know that when City Market stopped doing bottle redemption in Burlington, there was a lot of pushback because that was actually a source of income for, uh, you know, a certain segment of the population that would, you know, they still come to my driveway and pick up my bottles and We're fine with that. And then they drop them off and they get a few bucks from that. And I know that, you know, some community community organizations have felt like without having access to that redemption, we're actually taking money out of people's pockets.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, I'll I'll get Paul Burns on the show to talk about this in more detail. Um, Can we go back to the governor? What do you think? Uh, 130 plus votes to override his bottle bill veto in the House. Does that mean he's weaker politically? than ever or is uh you know or you know governors often send messages to their republican people saying go ahead and vote to override me it's okay on this one but I'll need you on other ones what do you think is the governor uh weaker or stronger these days
2: I don't know that I would say definitively one way or the other, except I will say I don't think they were getting a message from the governor saying this is okay. I think this was all coming from the House, and they were very ready to send a message. And, I mean, he is weaker this session. The the veto-proof majority has made him weaker, and these overrides just kind of twist the knife. So it will be interesting to see.
0: Okay. uh, We have a new candidate Running for governor. Speaking of uh, the governorship, uh, Esther Charleston of Middlebury. I, I miss. She's uh, she's of Haitian descent, and she was on the show, and she pronounced her name in a uh, graceful and wonderful way. Charleston. Uh, she's from Middlebury. She announced her candidacy last week. Uh, she's a Democrat. She's going to run in the Democratic primary. There are no op- other opponents that I know of. What do you make of her candidacy, and can she win against an incumbent who is this popular?
2: Yeah, well, I am just glad, first and foremost, to see the Democrats putting someone in the race and trying to make that a competitive um, race. You know, it, it seems like they haven't put a lot of energy into that in a couple of years, and I believe strongly in competitive elections. So no matter what, it's really good for democracy. Um, I'm also really happy to see a new face in the game. You know, like I think a lot of folks are tired of seeing the same people running again and again. And this is a new person with some new ideas and a new voice and a totally different background than a lot of previous candidates. So that's exciting to see. And I- I'm looking forward to seeing how that unfolds.
0: Yeah, me yeah, me too. She's a newcomer. Uh, she doesn't have any sort of big time political experience. I believe she was elected to the Middlebury Select Board. Um, so moving up to run statewide is a whole other ballgame, but uh, we'll see. I wanna, um, You've got some experience in this, uh, Joanna. What does it take to actually run for governor? It is no small feat.
2: Oh my gosh, you're asking me about my favorite subject on earth, running a statewide campaign.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it takes a lot of money and a lot of energy and those are like the two most important things. Um, you know, raising a lot of money, meaning getting a lot of donors on board because we have maxes here in this state. Um and also, you know, you wanna have a lot of big donors, you wanna have a lot of small donors, and you wanna have you really wanna be covering the state. The state our state is very small until you're running a statewide campaign and it suddenly seems huge. So you really want to be traveling all the time, you want to be ready to meet everyone, to talk to everyone, to listen to everyone. That's kind of the biggest thing. And uh be able to amplify some great ideas out there.
0: Now, the governor Phil Scott has been, I think Howard Dean holds the record. Phil Scott's been in office for a long time and this this question goes to whether uh, for Bernie Sanders as well. They, they, Bernie Sanders, Phil Scott, they have big decisions to make coming up quite soon about whether to run for reelection. Um, I predicted in my year end predictions that he would run, that Phil Scott would run for reelection. What do you make of that? Any chance that he just throws up his hands and says, "I want to go back to uh, running my construction, running a construction business, and living life"? and Esther Charleston is sitting there by herself uh, as the Democratic candidate for governor?
2: I don't think there's a chance. I've heard a few people who kind of are in the know say they don't think he's running again, but I honestly think he's running. I think the signs are all over. And I think this, this tripartisan housing effort is sort of proof positive that, okay, like, you know, I've been overridden a million times. I'm going to come downstairs and, and talk to people and, and get active and actually even, you know, we didn't even get to talk about this when we were talking about housing. But um, a few weeks back, his administration sort of had this shot across the bow op ed they put out all over the state. Um, that was, again, like a sort of a housing deregulation promo. So I definitely think he's he's running again. You know, you hear a lot of gossip that he doesn't trust the Democrats and how they're spending spending and well, not just gossip. I mean, it was also in the state of the state. Um
0: so, yeah, yeah, I, I think he's running again. <laughs> and, and it, well, you know, when I was getting my COVID shot at the Barry Auditorium, it seems like 25 years ago, uh, I was sitting next to his best friend, uh, the jeweler, Richard Wabi, uh, who's been on this show to talk about this stuff. And I said, hey, I yelled out across the Barry Auditorium, hey, <laughs> is the governor running again? This is a couple of years ago. And he said he will continue to run and serve as long as he thinks the job has not yet been done. Uh, And there was a little thing in his voice about, you know, uh, not trusting the Democrats with uh, spending and taxes. So I think I agree with you. I think he's going to run again.
2: Yeah, I think so. It's funny. I I was asking um, a senior senator um, this question recently, and they sort of had this idea that he was going to stay until the sort of like senior class of senators retired and that they were all hell bent on staying until he left first. And I was like, well, that's going to be a really interesting standoff.
0: Yeah. Well, well, one of the worst kept secrets in Montpelier is that uh, Moreau Weinberger is considering the mayor of Burlington is considering a run for governor. And it, it, it's odd to me because when you talk to people, he's either uh, highly respected or, somewhat reviled by pe- some people. Um, but And I, I, I'm not sure how that sort of breaks down for Moreau Weinberger. I'm not sure uh, whether he would be a, a good candidate for governor or not. What do you make of it?
2: Yeah, his popularity has waned pretty dramatically here in Burlington. And I haven't heard of folks outside of Burlington really saying much at all about him. I, I I don't you know but I do hear a lot of animosity towards Burlington in general outside of Burlington. Yeah. So, I don't see him being a fan favorite, but you know, you never know it's it's early in the uh in the electoral cycle here in Vermont. Yeah, anyway. it
0: is. You're right. And uh former mayor Peter Clavel uh, ran for governor and was was uh, beaten badly by Jim Douglas if memory serves and I it's very tough, I think to be a mayor of any city in any state in the country and then uh, win the governorship. But uh, we'll, we well, we'll see, you know, Weinberger has surprised people uh, before.
2: He has. Yeah, it'll be, I do think that harm reduction site could be, could really play out as an interesting wedge issue to, um, you know, cast some real daylight between him and Phil Scott, but actually politically, they're not that far apart. So, you know, I am interested to see how that plays
0: out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Weinberger of course is, a, a, a former housing executive. He knows how to build housing. Um, and he could bring that to the job. Um, but we'll see, what do you make of a decision coming up for Bernie Sanders about running for reelection?
2: Oh man, I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, a recent, um, you know, a, a big politico in the state recently said to me that he was going to, what did he say? He said he was going to die in his boots or, you know, be serving. I don't know. Something like that.
3: Yeah. 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 I I
2: don't think he's going anywhere. I I think Bernie's really there for the long haul. It would be great to free up another seat at the top of the ticket. There's a lot of people waiting in the, in the wings who really want to run. But, you know, there's this culture in Vermont. We could do a whole show about this. There's a, a culture in Vermont of not challenging an incumbent in your own party and uh, right. until there's movement in that seat, there's a lot of people who aren't going to be running.
0: Okay. In the minute and a half we have left, I, I can't let you go with asking about former President Donald Trump. Uh, just it, just be a regular citizen for a minute uh, and try to kind of deal with this. Civil court cases, criminal court cases, 91 charges, leading contender for the Republican nomination for president uh goes on Fox News while the other Republicans are debating. Uh, it's almost like he owns owns Fox News. What do you make of Trump just as a citizen at the moment? Do you think that, that he could go down, or do you think that he is cruising to the nomination?
2: I think he's cruising to the nomination, and I think it's proof positive of how hard it is right now for Americans to change their minds. They're just so doubled down.
0: Yeah. Double down because they're busy?
2: No, I mean double down because they're like, yeah, you know, OK, we like Trump and we're just kind of not going to take in all this additional data. Like we liked him before. Yeah. Or we're just sticking with him.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, like it or not, it is it is the the political story uh, of, the, of the day. It's it's an amazing we've never seen it. Joanna Grossman, uh, as always, thanks. I appreciate it. And we'll see you next time here on Vermont Viewpoint.
2: Sounds good. Thanks, Kevin.
0: Okay. Well, that was great. I love I love talking about politics and seeing where it goes with with people who really know what they're talking about. Um, And she is she's one of those. It's great. Uh, We're going to come back after the break uh, with Bob Ney, our weekly Friday guest. We're going to talk about all things Washington. I'll we'll get an update on what he thinks about uh, former President Trump. Uh, after that, at 10.15, we're going to talk to Marianne Ann Lichtig, who is a feature writer for Seven Days, and her great story about a sort of a survey of Burlington's remaining corner stores and how they serve their communities. And at 10.30, uh, it's going to be books with our uh, publishing Sherpa, Mary Bisbee Beek, and uh, we, she's got some recommendations. We'll be back after this break. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.